I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you know, uh, Paul, it's an interesting piece of research just came in. You want to hear it? Yeah. A study says 7% of people who define themselves as religious say they've prayed for a good parking space. <laughs> who, wait, who define themselves as? Religious. Yeah. I, I'm an atheist, and let me tell you, I never find a parking space. <laughs> There's days I just go, you know what, until I convert, I may as well just walk. <laughs> what percentage of non-religious people uh, pray for parking spots. Parking spot. I would imagine a fairly large number do. Yeah. yeah. You know, because you know, as they say, there's there's there are no atheists in Trader Joe's parking lots. <laughs> from NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where we continue our weekly search for all the world's knowledge. We're like those weird old dudes on the beach with metal detectors, except they occasionally get paid. On today's show, we look at how animals pee. We accomplish this either by A, talking to a researcher who's discovered something fascinating, or B, by standing next to a koala at a urinal and taking a peek. Also, the science of bullshit and how to detect it. And I just have to tell you, you are the best looking audience I've ever seen, top notch. Plus, Jay Leno takes our personality test to determine which late-night infomercial product he most resembles. My money's on ShamWow. I'm Chief of Research Adam Felber, and now, here's your host, the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone! Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Poundstone Institute, where real researchers are forced to reconsider that old axiom that there's no such thing as a stupid question. <laughs> so, Adam, where does our quest for knowledge begin today? Well, our first area of inquiry is... Detecting bull... <laughs> yes, malarkey, claptrap, folderol, hogwash. Call it what you will, but now the University of Washington has a class that teaches students to sniff it out. Joining us is their professor, the nation's only PhD of BS, we think. Please welcome to the Poundstone Institute, Professor Carl Bergstrom. Hi there, everyone. Hey, hey thanks for joining us. Oh, Paula, it's an honor. Oh, well, now you've gone too far, Carl. <laughs> oh, I, got this. I figured I better lead with some bull Yeah, right. honestly. <laughs> All right, you know, that, that brings up an interesting point. We've now said bull a few times, and I love it, but I want to remind Carl and Paula that this is an NPR podcast, and we're only budgeted for a few bleeps per show. We're already running low, so um, we'd like to try to go with BS or bull for the rest of the discussion. Wait a minute. We have to pay for each, each bleep? Each bleep is very expensive. Oh, I'd be willing to save <laughs> Yeah, I think my BS detector's going off on yeah. that one. I wish you had told me that ahead of time, because right. I would have brought in all my savings. Right, just to buy some more bleeps? For that matter, I would have saved. What I'm saying is so that we don't have to turn this into a bleep fest. Let's I try to keep you. it to BS or bull. Okay. Okay, so Professor, I've heard that you teach a catalog-listed, four-credit, undergraduate course in detecting bull. Yeah, I'm going to be teaching, uh, I taught a, taught a one-credit kind of pilot this past spring, and I'm going to be teaching a 
uh, three-credit version in the fall with my uh, co-instructor, Jevin West, here at the at the University of Washington. So, so in your class, you give your students examples of things that you've come across that are presented as facts, and then you ask them, is this bull or not bull, right? That's right. We do a bunch of that. It's a lot of fun. So can you try some of those out on us right now? Um, how about this one? You can tell the sex of a bell pepper by flipping it over. The ones with four bumps are female, sweeter, but with more seeds and better for eating raw. The ones with three bumps are male, better for cooking. No, the way you tell the sex of a bell pepper uh, is you get it lost and then see if it asks for directions. <laughs> Much better idea. Yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right, Paula. That, that, that one is false. Peppers don't have uh, sexes. They're fruit, and fruit are swollen ovaries, so they're... They don't, you can't fruit or swollen <laughs> ovaries? My God, I didn't know that. Just and ruined I, every dessert I've had this month. And I didn't know that bell peppers didn't have sex because there's a moaning noise coming out of the vegetable drawer in my refrigerator. I would count your cats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, give us another one. I thought for sure it was bell pepper sex. <laughs> oh, okay. So it uh, takes on the order of 100,000 years from the time light is formed in the center of the sun until it reaches the surface of the earth. 100,000 years? That, 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 that has to be bull because light travels at the speed of light and to the center of the sun it's about eight minutes, eight light yeah. minutes from no, here. No, I'll tell you why. I don't think it's right um, because I am paler than pale and I spend a little bit of time on the beach without sunblock and I am burned to a frazzle and that only took a few seconds, not 100,000 years. Yeah, unless, unless it's somehow hard for light to fight its way out from the core of the sun. I, I, you just I, nailed it. That's exactly it. So that one's true, because it is hard for light to fight its way out from the core of the sun. That's ridiculous. The sun, right, so, so the, the light is actually formed at the very core of the sun by fusion reactions, and then it bounces around for a long time, which has an average of around 100,000 years, finally reaches the surface, and then, as you pointed out, reaches the Earth about eight minutes later. Well, then wow. why do I get fried every single time I go to the beach? Because there was a lot going on in the sun 100,000 years ago, Paula. You're getting so fried by 100,000-year-old sunlight. Oh, my God. It's like, a, it's, it's, it's like a vendetta from The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, give us another one. One more, one more. Okay, one more. Goldfish lack the part of the brain that's used for long-term memory. They can't remember anything for longer than three seconds. That, no, that can't be true. Uh, they're always surprised to see me, so I'm going to say it's true. No. <laughs> no. They, got, they make these big wide eyes whenever they see yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. That one turns out to be false. Um, you can train goldfish to do various things and then ignore them for five months, and they'll remember to do it five of months. Of course. You, you, when, if you'd go near the tank uh, 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 with your fingers pinched like you had uh, some flakes... They were over there in a flash. And it's not oh, like I purposely trained them. They just knew that. They learned that, yeah, and they, they remembered it. That. So yeah. that, that, that was BS. Okay. But how do you teach someone to identify BS? I mean, you can't go over every fact with people. Right. It's really hard. And, and you know, for these, I've, I've obviously chosen these to be short and, and, and tricky. I think it, learning to detect bullshit is really developing a set of habits of mind and it involves you know first of all coming to the things that you read with appropriate skepticism and realizing that not everything that your aunt posts on facebook is necessarily a hundred percent true uh, -huh. uh the second you know the second thing i guess is that you just want to get in the habit of every time you read something ask yourself well who's telling me this and how do they know it well it's you carl and, and, and what is it that they're trying to sell me my I'm god you have the memory of a goldfish <laughs> I mean, you can ask yourself those kinds of questions. And yeah. That sort of puts, can put things in context. You can start to see where there might be 
problems with what you're hearing. How are, how are you at parties? I mean, uh, being the guy who's always around pointing out when other people are wrong, is that fun? <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing about, about calling bullshit. It's certainly not something you want to do all the time, even if you're spotted, right? It's, uh, oh, yeah. Our, our society more or less uh, functions with a thick lubrication of bullshit. <laughs> one doesn't want to cut through that necessarily for exactly the reasons you point out. Well, Carl, I, I, even though you've compromised our ability to BS our audience, which is the very foundation of this show, I still want to thank you for this interesting lesson. It's been great talking to you, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Paul. It really has been an honor. Take care now. Carl oh, Bergstrom you. is a professor of biology at the University of Washington. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today at the Poundstone Institute. Okay, Paula, it's time to remind everybody how that Neutron Collider we picked up on eBay was paid for. Who do we have to thank? We want to thank Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. Achieving the perfect balance of a bold yet smooth taste that's not too sweet is the stuff coffee drinkers dream of. Bringing it to life requires finding the right beans and the right grind, and I don't mean that in the Beyonce sense of the word. Then brewing at cool temperatures for at least 10 hours. I brewed coffee for 10 hours once, but that's just because I got distracted and forgot about it until dinner. Anyway, Stoke is slow brewed, like all the best ideas. It moved to the juice section because the other coffees were giving it attitude. Stoke cold brew coffee. Look at you go. We also want to thank Simply Safe Home Security. My approach to home security is to make my house and everything in it look as unappealing as possible. If you just ignore the weeds for a few decades, you'll be surprised at how burglars will just scurry by like everyone else. But I know that approach isn't for everybody. So the rest of you should check out Simply Safe, which makes everything about home security effortless. From having no long-term contract, which keeps you in charge, to sophisticated wireless technology that makes setup a breeze. With 24-7 professional alarm monitoring and police dispatch, your home always stays safe around the clock. Right now, Simply Safe is having its biggest ever summer sale. For a limited time, get $100 off Simply Safe's special summer package. Hey, it's a steal. But the sale ends soon. Visit simplysafenpr.com. Here at the Institute, we don't just talk about other people's studies, we also conduct our own, which is why four out of five dentists looked at your teeth as you walked in. And today we're asking our audience to answer this question. Do you ever talk to yourself? And if so, what do you say? What about you, Paula? I think I know the answer to this. I, I do talk to myself. I I'm self-employed, so mostly I'm telling myself what to do. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're being your boss. I am. I'm being my boss, you know? And I got to tell you something. Every now and then, I notice that look in my eye. Right. And I know, when I say to myself, could I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> I know I'm in big, big trouble. I, you, you know what? <laughs> I have OCD, so mostly it's a list of things to do that goes around in my head constantly. And every other thing is sift the litter box. <laughs> well, you've got 14 yeah, cats. Right, exactly. No matter what job I just did. And then sift the litter box. <laughs> Do the dishes, sift the litter box. <laughs> well, our underfed Poundstone Institute graduate students are busy tallying up the results of our survey about talking to yourself, and we'll have those results for all of you later in the show. Okay, Adam, now that we have sap all over our hands from the tree of knowledge, what branch are we climbing next? Well, our next stop today is a fascinating discovery about... Animal pee. <laughs> no, that is not the animal after animal O. 
<laughs> no, we're actually talking about our next guest who made an amazing discovery. She figured out that all mammals that urinate in a stream, no matter what their size, take an average of 21 seconds to pee. Does that sound about right? I, have, I don't remember. The, I have 14 cats, but I've yet to clock them. Well, our, our next guest did exactly that. Lots of clocking. Patricia Young is a PhD candidate in mechanical engineering at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Patricia, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Hello. Hey, Patricia. Hi. So, Patricia, tell me, how did you first notice that mammals pee for 21 seconds? So, it started with a question that how long would an elephant take? And we have ridiculous guess, like 30 minutes, an hour-ish. It's only 20 seconds-ish, yeah. But wait, so you said you first, you were guessing that elephants took like 30 minutes to pee? Yeah, because it's so big. And there's, the, the amount of urine for them at once is about like one or two kitchen trash cans. Wow. Wow. So let's get to the part everybody's trying to picture or not to picture. How did you do this research? Because it sounds like it might be messy and also dangerous. So we, we talked to Zoo Atlanta to make sure which animals they're safe to us so we can film them pee in a, as close as we can. Okay, so what, what are, name some of the animals that you tested. So we film elephants, we film goats, we film cows and dogs. Okay, so you did all this at the Atlanta Zoo? Yeah, but we also got a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of YouTube videos of animals peeing? Oh, yeah, there's a lot. And m those videos are, at average, 21 seconds in length? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you have to be a doctoral student. To, most of us just watch YouTube videos of animal peeing for the heck of it. But uh, you really have to be a doctoral student, I think, to take out a stopwatch. Oh, yeah, and that's part of my thesis. That's part of your thesis? Yes. The first part of my thesis is on animal pee. Uh-huh. Okay. And the second part is on animal poop. Oh, you're moving on to poop. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into the fluid dynamics of this. Elephant versus cat. They're very different animals from my scientific perspective. How is it that they both pee in 21 seconds? The magic is that a pee-pee pipe, we call it urethra, but it's actually just a pipe on the bottom of the bladder. Yeah. And... For larger animals like um, elephants, the pipe is long, taller, and wider. And so it just so happens that the proportions work out that it's 21 seconds for everybody? Yes, so it's wider, so it comes out more flow, but also it's taller. So the speed in, of the urine is faster because of gravity. So faster and wider for elephants, littler and skinnier for cats. Yes. Yeah, I mean, technically, an elephant could probably pee out a cat. Yes. Yeah. In 21 seconds. Yeah. It could be a peer within a peer within a peer. And they'd all be done at the same time. Yeah. All of a sudden, this whole range of animals will all be going, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Now I call them back, wash your hooves. <laughs> so it might say 21 seconds, but in a wide range, like 10 seconds to 30 seconds-ish. Oh, I see. So it's 10 to 30 is basically the range of, of, of P, but 21 is the average. Yes. And that's true of humans then, too. We work with a, a Japanese zoologist, and he did a survey of 2,000 Japanese people. So they, he just gave out the stopwatch at a train station and asked them if they were willing to do the survey. And 
over these 2,000 people, the average is 20.5 seconds. You know, I'm, I've never been to Japan, and the only thing I know about their subway system is that they have a person whose job it is to push people so that they are absolutely packed into the. But when you get off, there's more to it now. When you get off the subway in Japan, a urologist comes up to you with a stopwatch <laughs> and says, can you do me a favor and go time yourself peeing? Yes, that's what happened. <laughs> Patricia, has this affected your life? Like, do you find yourself timing yourself all the time now? Uh, not really, but all my relatives do. <laughs> really? Yeah, and they keep telling me their self-report data. <laughs> but you're not asking for it. No, n never. <laughs> Patricia, I want to thank you so much. Good luck with your thesis. And given that I drink a lot of beverages each day, uh, if you need me to film it, I'd be, I would be proud to be a part of your research. Uh, I, 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 and uh, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for that, too. Patricia Young is a Ph.D. candidate at Georgia Tech. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us here on the Poundstone Institute. All right, let's take a moment to hear about something you can listen to once this episode of the Poundstone Institute is over, but not a moment sooner. Yo, 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 everybody, it's Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. If you love this podcast you were listening to, you should check out our new show, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. This is not your average interview show. We're going to be telling stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the NPR One app, or however you find your podcast. It's What's Good. Hey, Paula, a little update on something from last week. We talked about a study that found hurricanes with female names killed a lot more people than hurricanes with male names. Remember that? I do remember well, that. Well, here's something new. This week, a tropical storm named Don, presumably short for Donald, formed in the Caribbean. Absolutely true. And experts at the National Hurricane Center site referred to Tropical Storm Don as, quote, small and not particularly well organized. <laughs> not making that up. And interestingly, the real damage isn't going to be done by Don Sr. It'll be done by Don Jr. <laughs> You're going you're gonna to love this. this I, I've been saving this detail because as we speak, abs absolute truth, Tropical Storm Hillary is beginning to form as well. <laughs> Not kidding. Well, you got to watch out for that one because one thing we know is she's pissed. <laughs> well, alumni donations have been a little slow, Paula, so it's a good thing we have some loyal sponsors, right? Yeah. We want to thank a very cool company called Sudara, who believes in the power of women and business to change the world. Here's how it works. Every purchase of Sudara's clothing invests in job creation and training for women in India who are at a high risk or survivors of sex trafficking. Sudara is committed to supporting programs that empower women to live in freedom and create a life of their own choosing. Who doesn't love that idea? Have a look at sudara.org. And if you see something you like, use offer code NPR for 15% off your first purchase. sudara.org. Still to come, we have the results of today's audience survey about talking to yourself and what you and you discuss. 
But first, we have to add some new data to the world-famous PPP, the Poundstone Personality Survey. Since the Middle Ages, or at least since Paula and my Middle Ages, we've been building a database of personality traits that allows us to predict, with perfect scientific accuracy, the personality of anyone willing to answer three questions. And we're honored to welcome this week's subject, Jay Leno. Hi, Paula. Hey, Jay. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. We've had similar careers. You were, you were the host of The Tonight Show for uh, uh, over two decades, and I have a podcast. <laughs> so there's, it's been neck and neck. Uh, no, but we go way back to the early days, and that's really where all the funny stuff happens. And also, you do one of the hardest jobs in comedy, which is the corporate job. Where, for those of you who don't know, where a company hires you to come in and entertain at like their big meeting or their awards show, right? Oh, right. Yeah, those, yeah, those are always funny, aren't they? My favorite is the speaker who introduces you, who tries to be funny, and they tell a story, and it gets no laugh, and then they go, but seriously, as we move forward. And, you know, it's nothing. It's nothing. The worst part about those is when they ask you, and this is something I don't do anymore. They, they hey, why don't you pick on... I never want to... Pick, I don't pick on people anyway, but I don't want to pick on somebody I don't know. One time they come up and they say to me, uh, hey, we got this guy in our office. He's the big office flirt. So if anything about girls or about dating or about sex, you make it Bob Johnson. Okay. So I get up there and I go, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, girls, some of us because you're Bob Johnson. Ah, big laugh, you know. Da-da-da-da-da, the sex show the other night. I think Bob Johnson was on. Ah, another laugh. <laughs> By the time I get the third one, this woman goes, <laughs> Runs out of the room crying, and they go, "Oh, we didn't know his wife was here." Oh, God. so now the, she, she, she has no idea if her husband is the big office flirt. You know. Meanwhile, they're mad at me. I go, "You told me to do this." <laughs> All right, let me ask you this: uh, What was the what was the what was the scariest place you've ever worked? I mean, scary. You know, see, I'm probably the youngest guy to do it when the mob still ran the clubs. So these mob guys would always want to be friends with you. You know, so one day I'm at this club, and this guy goes, Hey, Jay, me and Anthony, uh, you know, we, we kind of like you, a funny guy. We got a funny story. Maybe this is a story you can use in your act or something. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I don't know. What, what's the story? He goes, Okay, okay, here's the story. Here's the story. He gets all excited. It was me and Anthony, right? Anthony, remember this? Remember we go to collect from a guy. You know, we're collecting numbers. You know, so we've got a guy's place, and he's got some kind of machine job. He don't want to pay. He said, you got to pay. Said, no, you don't want to pay. So I, when a guy turns around, they take a screwdriver, I stick it on top of his head. The guy turns around, he's got a screwdriver stuck in his head. Like it's nothing. He grabs me by the lapel, and he starts shaking me, and I take my gun, I put it under his chin, and boom, it blows a screwdriver off the top of his head. Can you use that? <laughs> I go, yeah, that's a good story for Ellen. Yeah, yeah, Ellen will like that story. <laughs> the first time I ever did an out-of-town date, it was Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. I was working with Frida Payne. Remember, she had a song called Band of Gold and a bunch of hits like that. So I'm walking down State Street, and I see this marquee. It says, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Frida Payne with J.L. No. <laughs> so I go inside, and I say to the guy, uh, the only thing the guy goes, I'm no, no, what do you want? I said, oh, he spelled my name wrong. I didn't spell your name wrong. I said, well, my name's Jay Leno, L-E-N-O. You got J-L-N-O. He goes, I know that. 
Oh, at ease. Frida Payne took all the ease, okay? <laughs> and then I ask a really stupid thing. I say, well, can't you just buy another E? Then he starts poking me in your chest. He goes, what do you think? There's an alphabet store. You go down and you just buy an E. Is that what you think? Huh? He looks, for the next three days, you're JL no, so shut the hell up. You know? <laughs> all right, Jay Leno, we love talking to you, but there is important research to be done here. We've asked you to take the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Survey. And what we're going to do is ask you three questions, and based on your answers, in honor of your long career in late night, we'll tell you which late night infomercial product you most resemble. Oh, all right. Well, you know my favorite thing about those infomercials? Yeah. Is how clumsy people aren't able to perform the simplest test. Turning hot and cold water knobs can be awful confusing. Oh, water goes <laughs> everywhere. There's no way you can control it. Well, you know, isn't it, it, that such a huge task? Squeezing toothpaste to oh, my, the paste goes everywhere. There's no way you can brush your teeth with it. They're just the clumsiest, most inept people in the world that seem to be in these commercials. Yeah, these are voters, Jay. Uh. <laughs> Well, well, okay. you see what we got. I rest my case. All right. Yeah. Okay, are you, are you ready? Question number one. How would you design a perfect hour in the life of Jay Leno? What would happen in the perfect hour? Oh, in the perfect hour of Jay Leno. Well, I, again, I'm a little odd, but I mean, something would be broken and I would fix it. And that would be the perfect hour to me. Oh. Because, because, see, I'm in, you know this. We're in a business is subjective. Some people think you're funny. Some people think you suck. They're both correct. But when you fix something that's broken, no one can say it's not working. So that's my favorite thing, finding something that's broken and then figuring out how to fix it. All right, this is very insightful. Question two, if you couldn't be a comedian, what job would you have chosen? And, and wait, wait, wait. I want to take auto mechanic off the table. Okay, let's see. Uh, I Probably sales. Because my dad sold insurance. It seemed like the most boring thing in the world to me. But once a month, my dad would put on a skit in the office to kind of, to kind of um, invigorate the staff. And he, I remember one time he played the Frank Sinatra High Hopes thing, and he juggled and did stuff. And I thought, selling insurance sucks, but at least once a month he gets to do a show. So <laughs> I thought maybe I would do that. So it's just a backdoor way to get to more of, of doing what you already do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay. Question three. In this age of surveillance, if you could plant an undetected listening device in any location on Earth, where would you put it? Well, they're already in every place on Earth. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where I... You know, there's things you don't want to know. One of my favorite infomercial products was a thing where you could hear people from far away. You know, you put this thing in your ear. And one day we did a skit on the Tonight Show I had in my ear. And people would come over and ask for an autograph. And they'd say, oh, Mr. Leno, you're my favorite. Oh, thank you very much. And then when they walked away, I'd hear them say, how old is that guy? Well, he's really <laughs> you know, and, and you realize, well, there's, you know, there's some stuff you don't want to hear. <laughs> so I don't want the listening device anyway. I already have a listening device. There is no privacy anymore. That's an acceptable answer. We're just going to, okay, we've got the three questions. We're going to run your responses through the Institute's Cray supercomputer, which we got surprisingly cheaply on eBay. And... <laughs> Oh, okay, first of all, that's Robbie the Robot from 1955 for Big Planet. No, Okay, that, first of all, there's no computer that sounds like beep, boop, boop. Nobody, this, they haven't no, done that since... This, since <laughs> we had it added on. 
Yeah, this okay. is a feature you can get now. It's an option. It's like how you have a cell phone and you can get an old-fashioned ring on it now. All right, here you go, Paula. Here are the results. Okay. All right, of course, just as I would have guessed, Jay, you are the potty putter. <laughs> Much like the famous practice putting green made for golfers sitting on the toilet, you're unusual. You've provided years of entertainment. You make a great gift. You're not sold in stores, and you're so amazing, we can't believe you actually exist, but you do. Have you ever heard of the potty putter? No, I don't know that one. I'm sorry. Oh, all right. I mean, every boy has up to about the age of 12, but then, you know. No, that's different. Uh, do we have uh, a, a clip of it to play? Yeah, do we have some audio of the potty putter infomercial? Oh, no, you missed that putt again. You probably don't have enough time to practice. You can have more time to practice your putting with the Potty Putter, the amazing new toilet time golf game that lets you practice your putting on the potty. Your Potty Putter comes with its own putting green made of the same professional carpet found at miniature golf courses. Now, practice your putting every time you take care of your other business. Just aim and shoot the ball into the cup. Just you have to see this actual commercial. Uh, it, 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 Actually, I don't have to see it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jay Leno, he has a potty putter of a personality, but the career of a titan. Jay, uh, Paul and I were just so grateful that you could join us here at the Poundstone Institute. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jay, thank you very much. It was great having you. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Jay care. Leno, everybody. If you like this show, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just a simple note like, I don't know, a fun listen, or this is the greatest show in the history of podcasts, almost as if the human ear evolved over millions of years just for the moment this show debuted. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Poundstone Inst. That's at Poundstone, I-N-S-T. Okay, the results of our studio survey are in. We asked our audience... Do you ever talk to yourself? And if so, what do you say? And Paula, this might be a record for the Institute. 94% of people say they do talk to themselves. Wow. So we don't really need one another at all. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm going to read to you some of the uh, it, it, it survey results uh, under what do you usually say? Must feed cat, must feed cat, must feed cat. Yeah, apparently that's the um, that's the harmony to sif 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 sif. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 melody of my life. Um, uh, uh, who's the cat owner that uh, wrote "Must Feed Cat, Must Feed Cat"? What if they don't even own a cat? Yeah. What if it's a euphemism for something vile? No. What a tragedy that would be if they just go through their life going "Must Feed Cat, Must Feed Cat." Ah. <laughs> uh, so where where'd they go? Oh, <laughs> I was trying to hide. You were trying to hide? Yeah. Oh, that can't be done. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, how many cats do you have? Just one? No. <laughs> I have uh, what, uh, four outside and three now inside. You have three inside and four outside cats, ma'am. Correct. But what I'm noticing is you wrote, must feed cat, must feed cat, must feed cat. So apparently you just choose one each day. That's right. Uh, do you have like a contest of some sort? One of you eats today. The rest, shape up. All right. What do you usually say when you talk to yourself? 
I rehearse something I have to say in public or an important pending conversation. Oh yeah, I, 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 I do. I rehearse, I'm not very good at any kind of scripted stuff. Um, I rehearse stuff in my head and then, I, and then I can't do it. The person who said this is some sort of performer, are they here? Yeah. Right here in front. Right in front, what, what, are you an actress? No, no, I'm a political consultant. You're a political consultant? Yes. So what do you have to say in public? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, sometimes I have to testify at meetings, like board meetings, like Metro or something. Uh-huh. And so you would repeat that to yourself all day while you were doing your tasks? Sure. Uh, what do you usually say when you're talking to yourself? Oh, God, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> What do you usually say when you're talking to yourself? I practice answering questions I might get asked, such as in an interview. Uh, and this person, when they answered the question, do you ever talk to yourself when you're alone? They not only checked off the box, yes, but they added in all the time. <laughs> so I think if we just sit quietly for a minute, we can find them. <laughs> Let's see, what do you usually say when you talk to yourself? You idiot. <laughs> then this person shifts gears. Come on, you can do it. And then, shine on, you crazy diamond. Wow. You are your own three kinds of dads. For today's show, the distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our chair apparent is Ken Lezebnik. Our Sunnyan chair is Franny Kelly. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. Special thanks to John Cohn and his pals at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Bonnie Burns, and the folks at Nerd Melt. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Cologne, with engineering from Tony Federico. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is reluctantly distributed by NPR. You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, live from the Poundstone Institute. Serious? <laughs> this is NPR?